Welcome back in listeners to another fabulous episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by two amazing artists today. We have the artistic director of Unattended Baggage, who's also acting as the director and designer on this show, Sean Pollock, as well as the playwright, Anna Kapunai, who are with the show Cowgirl, playing August 10th through the 27th at the Players Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting theplayerstheater.com or unattendedbaggagecompany.com. This is a fantastic show. And in fact, before we arranged this interview, this show was already on our radar. That's how great it is. So we are so excited to have Sean and Anna joining us. In fact, that's a great opportunity to bring our guests on. So with that, Sean, Anna, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so Yay, much for having thank us. You. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. And as I just mentioned, your show already hit our big board before we had even like begun to exchange emails. I was so excited when I got the email about, hey, would you be interested in speaking with the show? Because I was like, absolutely. We already had this on our board. This is a great, great fun show that I'm so excited about. We are fans of Unattended Baggage. We we do love this company. And this is an exciting upcoming new show. So, Anna, I want to start with you since you're the playwright. Could you tell us a little bit about Cowgirl? Yes, thank you. So Cowgirl, the character, the titular character is a super fan. She loves all things Pee Wee Herman, classic Star Trek, superheroes, obviously Batman. She happens to also wear a Batman cowl all day, every day. This stems from a trauma of losing her parents. She first lost her mom when Cowgirl was a child, and then she lost her dad when she was a young adult. As a result, Cowgirl became agoraphobic, and she distances herself from the world by wearing this Batman cowl. So she doesn't leave her home, only walks down the hall of her apartment building to chat with the doorman, who has essentially become a father figure to Cowgirl. Wow. That, that is a fascinating story. Yeah. Sean, as the director, the designer, and the artistic director of the theater company that's putting, producing the show, how did you come upon this show? First of all, thank you so much for for all your kind words about the show and and our company thus far. Very flattering. We love to hear it. So I found this show because I was on the new play exchange, and I I loved geek theater when I was in college. I went to Ithaca College, and I used to have my own theater company called Macabre Theater Ensemble. They used to do just science fiction and horror and geek theater, so that's kind of where my background is, and I... Because I'm a player myself, I'm very particular about the new plays that I take on. And I was just looking at, I, I just typed in like geek theater stuff and phrases. I think I probably typed in superheroes and that's how I came up. And I specifically remember putting the filter on that I wanted to look for work by women and pirates of color. And when I found the script, I was really taken by it. I thought it was really fun. And I emailed Anna, and because at the time when I found it, we were programming our season of comedy after coming back from the pandemic, and I had some other comedic projects up my sleeve. So I was kind of like, it would be fun if we could end it with with a workshop of this like fun new comedic play. And so that's how me and Anna got to start talking, and then we finally did the workshop of it last April. I'm hesitating because I think that's what. Oh. It sounds right. Where, where, that's when it was. Yeah. 
Very cool. Now, Anna, where did you come up with the idea for this really crazy and unique story? So Cowgirl, to go back in time, was originally uh, performed 10 years ago as a workshop production through Dramatic Question Theater. Around that time, I had just uh, moved into my new apartment. I was probably a, a year or two into it. And a friend of mine suggested I wear my current Batman cowl as a gag. So yes, I did own a Batman cowl already. So I should wear it around my building to creep out my new new neighbors, all that. <laughs> so I thought about it naturally, but I did not do that in real life. I did wonder what it would be like to wear the cowl daily. So soon after that thought, my mom was actually diagnosed with cancer. Mm. So my life just kept kept crashing down on me and I had to quote unquote mask my emotions as best I could to continue to work and figure out how to deal with my family's emotions. Everybody was in turmoil. So at around the same time, Cowgirl made more sense to me. And I was able to delve into her character as she's an orphan dealing with trauma and a sudden onset of agoraphobia due to losing her mother when Cowgirl was a child. And that's kind of the origin story with a lot of superheroes. So a few years later in Cowgirl's life, the character, she would lose her father as well in the line of duty. So Cowgirl's dad had to raise her to be a, and she, and he raised her to be a super fan girl and love all things cartoons, music and pop culture of the eighties. And then one day Cowgirl was left with no one. So she thought, so all those uh, ideas progressed in my head and where she would go from A to B to C. Wow. What a incredible, like, origin story that's amazing now sean back to you what has it been like developing this particular iteration of this show it's been fun it's been i i like to think that what we're doing is really different than the original production and then i and i didn't mention this but there was a pilot that was developed a television pilot that was developed in 20 15. 2015, thank you. That was uh, taking the story of Cowgirl and kind of took it a step further. And when I came to it, I would say one thing that I I clocked pretty early on was that in the, the script and then how the workshop was done in the pilot, the Cowgirl was wearing this Batman cowl with a Captain America t-shirt on. And and Anna was like, well, Cowgirl's just this like, super fan girl. Like, she loves everything. She loves DC. She loves Marvel. But, but in one of our earliest conversations, Anna said that Cowgirl was a superhero that saved herself. So I, I kind of had the idea. I was like, what if we reconceived how Cowgirl looks differently from just being, you know, the super fan girl to really living and breathing as her own superhero. So I, you know, I mean, this is a redundant thing to say. I like to think all directors feel this way, but I'm a very visual director. And I, I think a lot about uh, how characters look on stage and how they interact with the world, e- even when I'm reading it. So I think for me, coming up with a new cowgirl aesthetic, which will be revealed when you see the play. And then also, I can't remember where I got the idea necessarily, but probably just because there are so many references in the play that are like Pee Wee Herman and Thundercats and Star Trek and things that are, are more vintage. I At some point, I was just like, can we back 
update this. Like, I feel like there are so many times, too, when plays are... I mean, Cowgirl exists in a weird world because it is a premiere, but it had been workshopped before. And I definitely want to do something different. But so many times you plays that are revived, right? Like, they're they're not backdated. They're updated, if anything. And I'm actually more interested in backdating. I think it's more fun. I think it's more fun to set something that's already in the past and put it more in the past. So I think that's that's one thing that's really changed the play a lot is it being in 2004 that hasn't been seen in the other versions. And the last thing I would say is that Alex, Cowgirl's love interest, was written as a guy and then through the process of casting the workshop, we Anna and I were so flexible about if Cal- if Alex could be played by a man or a woman, and we land on landed on Alex being played by a a sign male at birth, non binary person, which is really fun to have this male presenting yet very femme person who people would generally assume is just straight up gay, and instead having kind of this. This, like, very queer, kind of, as I, I call it, trans being relationship going on. Because I think when, when people see male bodies in femme clothes, they're like, oh, gay. You know, like, I think it's, but it, it's really not like that at all. There's there's a lot of trans lesbians and, you know, uh, non-binary people who swing all sorts of ways. So I think that's a, that's a really fun thing. And I, I haven't seen that kind of romance on the stage before. So I'm really thrilled to... So bring that out in this in this iteration. Plus, we're backdating it, so something like a, a term like transbian wouldn't have, you know, been in our uh, I guess you know everyday speak with I guess when did we do this for t- two thousand four two thousand five we backdated this, so we weren't really using that term colloquially, yeah, like, if you want to call it that, you know. Like I came out in two thousand six. And I remember people using the term genderqueer. I mean, I, I knew trans people and I, I knew, you know, by gay people or whatever, but it's something, I mean, even the term non-binary didn't exist back then. The conversations were happening, but the language wasn't there. And I would also go so far to say the visibility wasn't, to- it was yes. there. It was there, but it wasn't prominent. Yeah. So, Starting with you, Sean, what is the message or thought you're hoping that audiences will take away from Cowgirl? There's a line at the end of the play when Cowgirl takes an action figure out of the out of its casing. And she says, like, we all need to get out of our own box sometimes. And the whole thing if, if, for anyone listening who collects anything is, especially when you're collecting action figures and dolls and, and vintage stuff, being preserved in its own packaging is what makes it valuable. So there's actually a point of contention in the play when when a toy is taken out of the box and it's a whole thing. But I think I think the play is, is really about growing comfortable with discomfort and about how change a change can be uncomfortable but i also but you can also change and and be true to yourself like if if you're a super nerdy person but like you just you need to you so you can still be that person but just to expand your world like literally like cowgirl struggles with agoraphobia so like literally taking those steps to go outside of your box outside of your world but while maintaining that truthfulness i also think like it, it's not so much for me like a moral but like a feeling maybe i think like i've never seen a trans being queer superhero rom-com before and i you know like 
it, it's very joyful. I mean, it talks about mental illness and grief and loss. Like those are certainly not subjects that we that the play shies away from. But I think overall, it's it's very joyful and and gives people the fuzzies. And I famously don't make work that's like that optimistic ever. But I think every once in a while, it's really great to have work that just makes people feel good. So that's that's my takeaway, I guess. I'd like to think that we would be the first queer rom-com transbian superhero stage play. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm banking on us being the first of that. I love that. Anna, what about you? What is the message of thought you're hoping the audiences will take away from the show? So, I mean, just explaining the show, anybody who's either familiar with the synopsis or scene or postcards or anything like that I'm very certain our audiences will run the gamut from queer 80s to 2000s babies anyone who adores superheroes of course and and PB Herman I'm a Gen Xer so I know my Gen X crowd is almost certain to understand Cowgirl's love of the music of Prince classic Star Trek and a respect for all the Batmans um, namely Adam West and Michael Keaton yes Yes, yes, yes. And that is a perfect lead into my final question for this first part, which is who do you hope have access to the show? And Anna, I'm going to stick with you first on this. Well, pretty much anybody I just mentioned, I want anybody who's struggling with either identity or has any kind of loss or grief in their life, people who have formed their own families through friendships. Those are the ones I want to see our show because that's going to speak to them for sure yeah i love that and bringing us home sean what about you yeah i think anna really hit the nail on the head i mean for me you're using the word access in a very particular way which is to say that for me, like creating an intended baggage as a young person, I wanted very much to create because most of the stuff that we've done is immersive site specific stuff, which like if you ever get the chance to see that kind of stuff in the city, it's like really expensive. Like I still haven't been able to afford to see sleep no more. Well, I shouldn't say I'm sure I could. I could, but I need like buy groceries and stuff. But I would say in terms of who, who can access it? I want to say everyone. I want to say that, but of course, you know, we don't set the ticket prices. That's something that happens, you know, with, with unintended baggage and the venue and just things are out of our control. But I would say, you know, like if cost is a barrier that like we will accept like volunteer ushers for the show and if you want to like help bartend. So yeah, send us an email on a ten baggage co co at gmail.com because I believe theater should be accessible financially to everyone. We also have a discount code Cal23 C O W L two three. You punch that into the players theater ticket link and that'll be $35 tickets, which we believe are, are pretty reasonable prices as well. now and give our listeners a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better and i want to start by asking both of you what or who inspires you 
what playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you or are even some of your favorites. And Sean, I want to start with you first on that. I, I You know what's going to happen, right? Is that I'm going to like name people and then this is going to end and I'm going to think of all the people I didn't talk about. I would say for me, I'm really inspired by... I don't know why this is the first person that's coming to mind. I'm really inspired by Harmony Corinne and his aesthetic. He's, like, not necessarily the best person, but Gummo, Kids, Spring Breakers, those are some of my favorite movies, and the aesthetics, especially in Gummo. He worked with Chloe Sevigny to, to like, thrift all those costumes, and it's, like, such a beautifully curated but also completely random clashing kind of like patterns and textures and and his aesthetics are just so strong to me. I, in terms of, I, I also, I would say conversely that I've always said that Harmony Corinne is just John Waters for straight people. So I love John Waters too, of course. He's so high camp and of course the the glam aesthetics there. I would say like so much of my, what inspires me is like from the 70s. Like I am a Rocky Horror Picture Show person and anything in Rocky Horror, anything like in that that glam kind of 70s vein is, is totally it for me. I love the music of the 70s. My favorite bands are Fleetwood Mac and the Kanks. So that the, they inspire me. In terms of playwrights, I really love Roberto Aguar Sacasa, who I feel like is such an unsung hero because he's really, one of few, very few playwrights I can think of who's made his living as a playwright writing geek theater. Unattended Baggage a few years ago did a revival of his play The Weird, which is a collection of short horror pulp plays that I absolutely love. He has one called Say You Love Satan that's a lot of fun. The Mystery Plays, wrote the book for Spider-Man, the revised book for Superman in Dallas a few years ago. Really great stuff. And of course, David Lindsay ABR. I love David Lindsay ABR. I love how absolutely off the wall that guy that guy thinks and how he he brings together uh just like misfits to create like the funny stories. And I would say I also love Michael R. Jackson a lot. I've had the the pleasure of working with him. But he if there's one thing about a Michael R. Jackson show is that you really never know what you're gonna walk into. He he just really, really goes there. And I think it's so so beautiful that he goes there. And that he's working in commercial theater. I think it's it's really boundary pushing stuff. And then I'm obligated to say Kyle Jarrow and Alex Timbers because of working on a very merry unauthorized children's Scientology pageant. They've both individually and together done incredible work. I feel like I've talked a lot, so that's it. No, I love that. That's a brilliant list. A fabulous list. Thank you for sharing that. Anna, what about you? What are who inspires you? So I'm a big fan of like dark humor and creepy dialogue like Larry David so something like his writings have been a, a huge influence on mine I know he, he uh, influenced a lot of people as well stage plays Jordan tops the list I adore Yasmina Reza and Maria Irene Fornes you know I just started directing for the screen so I'm a big fan of like Mira Nair and Sofia Coppola I think those are our tops for me for for now until I think about more later on and beat myself up for not mentioning them. <laughs> well, have either of you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Yes. I 
I saw Once Upon a One More Time recently, which is a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. I mean, I could go into the weeds of what I think maybe doesn't work so well about it, but I think if you're looking for a really good time and really fierce choreography and people with incredible voices who sing the hell out of Britney Spears, that's a great show. I'm lucky enough to work at Soho Playhouse, which does so many, so many great things. I really hope that she brings it back, but there's a comedian named Maggie Lally who had a one-woman show called Sex Witch, that was about her being in a like sex cult, sex witch cult with her best friend in high school slash middle school. That was like really funny and sad and fucked up. I don't know if I can say that word, but <laughs> but like that was that piece really really touched me, and it, it was really really fun to get to work on it. Also, spooky and gay was a queer storytelling show that was just at Soho that's been touring around. Yeah, those are the the immediate ones that come to mind for me. Anna, anything from you? So the play that I'm going to recommend is no longer showing. It's a site-specific play. It's called Support by, there's a local Brooklyn playwright, Elizabeth Finn. The play is, like I said, site-specific. It took place in an actual conference room to convey the experience of being in a support group for Uh, domestic violence survivors. I wanted to just stress that it's a beautiful amalgam of drama, comedy. It goes ahead and portrays flawed characters of all genders. You see their journey from survivors to listeners to allies to each other. Elizabeth Irwin is a brilliant playwright. She's local to Brooklyn and she does pop up site-specific plays every so often. So, you know, Google her, make sure you catch one of her shows. The last two shows that she did were site-specific where it took place in a coffee shop. The other one is literally called The Terrace Play. It was in uh, the terrace of outside of her Brooklyn apartment. Wow, that sounds so cool. I will definitely have to Google and follow and, and look for the next show. Well, let me ask you both, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Anna, I want to start with you first on that. The best part about working in the theater, it, it, nothing beats a live audience. I, I've had previous works adapted to the screen. I recently wrote and directed a short film, but my heart belongs to the stage first and foremost. It's the energy that the audience gives us night after night. It's an immediate high. And like I said, just nothing, nothing beats that reaction. Yes, absolutely. Sean, what about you? It's the pay. It's really good. <laughs> just kidding that's not it no I'm, I'm i'm gonna steal anna's answer i was trying to think of a better one but i think she really hit it because i think like theater is so ethereal right and it's and, and part of what makes it ethereal is just the fact that it's it's live for a set group of people every night and therefore the product changes based on like literally who's in the room and how it's being perceived so so that's i guess what i would say i know i know that i'm just piggybacking and that's not that interesting but it's the truth no i i think that is a solid answer though the i mean in front of a live audience nothing beats that it truly there's no shame in piggybacking yeah We've now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? 
Okay, I'm gonna go with seeing the Pippin revival. I love Pippin. It's 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 my favorite musical, and I just thought that revival was absolutely incredible. I think a lot about how Diane Paulus staged the finale with the live fire pit and how you really felt like he was going to jump in. It felt really dangerous and in a way that was really, really captivating to watch. My other story is actually also related to Pippin, which is that when I was a senior in high school, I played Charles and I did this like production at the JCC, which is you know just a Jewish community center in West Orange, New Jersey. And at the end of, so at the beginning, for those of you who don't know the show, at the beginning and at the end of, of Pippin, the ensemble, like, says join us to the audience and tries to kind of seduce the audience into into joining them but it's it's always i feel like done with a sensibility that's like don't actually come up here like it's it's very performative but i do remember a kid went backstage after like like during the the finale like when the players came and said join us to the audience and we're trying to seduce them i like a kid actually did come up on stage and came backstage with us and then he got really upset because he didn't realize he was like wait i wasn't supposed to but i thought i was and i was like no like you were like you were invited to like and i i think that was really fun there was a moment that like none of us really expected i guess the last last thing is worked on a show for a long time called broken bone bathtub by shivana lachlan and she he really is a huge point of inspiration for me and, and for unattended baggage. And she her show, Broken Bone Bathtub, was in a bathtub, people's bathtubs in their apartments. And it, it, I remember experiencing it for the first time, just being in this like small bathroom with fluorescent lighting, sitting on collapsible step stools with Siobhan in a bath and being like, this is also theater. And how how incredible that is! How how incredible is it that like we can have a a world where we have the Diane Paulus Pippin, which cannot be you know grander and larger than couldn't be more sorry grander and larger than life and opulent, and then on the other hand have Siobhan's show that she does in bathrooms with pretty much like no razzmatazz at all, just like honest to god storytelling that really changed the way I look at theater and in the best possible way. I love all of that. Absolutely love that. And that Pippin was amazing. Anna, what about you? Favorite theater memories. They're kind of, they're not going to be specific. You know, I have to give a lot of credit to my parents. They took me uh, to a lot of theater when I was very young, actually. Um, and, and we used to travel to their country in Peru and sometimes to Mexico as well. And I remember seeing a lot of great stage productions out there, even before seeing anything on Broadway here, you know, and, and I'm a native New Yorker, you know, I didn't go to Broadway till I was maybe 12. So they exposed me to a lot of great theater out there. That's actually some of the best stage plays I've seen. You know, my parents were very focused on exposing me to small stages, black box, the black box theater, small revivals, shoestring budget shows. They just thought it was very important to see all types of art in that sense. And, you know, nothing didn't have to be anything grandiose or, you know, the equivalent of like blockbusters. So, like I said, see, these are some of the best performances and, and audience engagements. And I think that's where the, the, the love of the live energy came from. So th these memories pretty much propelled me later in life. I didn't really 
you know, put pen to paper or hit the keyboards, you know, on a personal level as a playwright until later in life. I, I didn't think I had any artistic bones in my body, but I did always enjoy that. So for me, it's, it's just a combination of all those memories. And for, for, for fear of, of being uh, you know, mocked, I have to say my first Broadway show was Cats and I enjoyed it. I'm a crazy cat lady, so I will say it there. As long as you own it, that's you can laugh, right? <laughs> well, those are also amazing memories. I love all of those. So thank you both for sharing those memories. Those are fantastic. Are there any other productions or projects that either of you, you have seen on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Sean, take it away. Well, we're doing a big push coming soon. I mean, it's already out there. You can already watch it, but we're going to be doing a Christmas in July push for a very merry unauthorized children's Scientology pageant live, which is a TV special in the style of NBC live that I directed, designed and adapted for television of Kyle Jarrow and Alex, Alex Timbers piece of very merry unauthorized children's Scientology pageant which was um, a big hit in the early 2000s you can watch that on the IFT network for free other than that I'm I'm scheming and dreaming about new things I have down the pipeline but really just like see cowgirl I'm I'm so so ecstatic to share this piece with everyone for three weeks in August so come on down yeah let me echo that you know it's late in August we don't have the fringe so I think that fills a nice little void in uh, New York City theater. Come down to 115 McDougal Street, go to the Players Theater, two flights up, and there we will be. Yes. And that's a perfect lead into my final question, which is if our listeners want more information about Cowgirl or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you two, how can they do that? They can go to our Twitter at the at sign unattended underscore bag on Instagram or unattended underscore baggage underscore co. We'll also be putting pictures up on our website unattendedbaggagecompany.com. And if you want to follow me, um, you can do so on Instagram at Sean P underscore yo and Anna and I both respectively on unattended baggages social media and our personal social media will be putting out lots of pictures we just had a very exciting photo shoot in midtown comics that is a feast for the eyes so yeah take keep an eye out for that and also did we stress pollock as our doorman jason who played dr eggman in the sonic franchise Yes. Sorry, Anna, you cut off there. So I'm just going to reiterate what you just said. So in addition to all of this, we have an actor named Mike Pollock who will be playing Jason in our production. And Mike Pollock is the voice of Dr. Eggman in the Sonic the Hedgehog series. Not the movie that just came out, that was Jim Carrey, but and everything else. And I believe his Instagram is, it's actually just Mike.Pollock. Anna, did you want to drop any social media handles or anything for you? I mean, my social media on Instagram is a, uh, the first initial, and my last name, C-A-P-U-N-A-Y, Anna with two N's, Capunay, C-A-P-U-N-A-Y. So yeah, I'm available on those. Friend request me as I'm there privately, and you'll have Act Cowgirl, the, some of my other projects as well. 
Perfect. Sean, Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this fantastic work coming up at the Players Theater and everything else that you shared. This really was fantastic. So I appreciate you speaking with us today. Oh, yeah, we, we appreciate, appreciate you. you. Oh, my God, Jinx. Thank you both. My guests today have been the artistic director, director and designer, Sean Pollock, and the playwright, Anna Kapunai, whose upcoming show being presented by Unattended Baggage is Cowgirl, playing August 10th through 27th at the Players Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting theplayerstheater.com or unattendedbaggagecompany.com. And we will also let you know when we are attending the show so that you can come out and join us for a stage whisper night at the theater. But in the meantime, head over to theplayerstheater.com or unattendedbaggagecompany.com. Get your tickets now for Cowgirl playing August 10th through the 27th at the Players Theater. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. <laughs> If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.